I'm Debbie Georges. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about Thanksgiving and George Washington's words, the Pilgrims School, AOC, American unity around what, and giving thanks for America. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again and welcome again to America Can We Talk and today's First Five. First, of course, I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have a great plan for tomorrow uh, to see family and friends and enjoy some delicious food and just take a day off from the busyness of life and enjoy Thanksgiving. You know, we were growing up, uh, I grew up in upstate New York and our family had, I think it was four or five other families from our church where we had been friends with them for years and years and years. And we had, you know, Thanksgiving every year with these same families and we had christmas eve with these same families so uh, over the years it was a lot of adults and tons of kids and noise and chaos and confusion but delicious food and lots of it just was a tradition for years and years these same families and on the christmas eve service we did christmas eve at my uh, godparents house and at the lutheran church we were part of my parents both sang in the choir so we would leave the uh, christmas eve dinner zip over to church for the 7 30 service because sing in the choir go back have dessert at my godparents house go back to the church for the 11 p.m service so we just had traditions about thanksgiving and christmas they were very special and very fun but it really wasn't until you know several years later um, probably really my young adult life i thought more deeply and now even more so think more deeply about the reason and the purpose for thanksgiving and i know that as we face uh, you know come to thanksgiving tomorrow uh, more and more people i think are starting to realize that thanksgiving is actually really an extraordinary holiday uh, it's unique in the world for america to have a, a holiday simply dedicated uh, to thanking god but what i'm saying about my adjusting thought was i knew growing up that you're supposed to be thankful for your parents and for the food and your home and your school and your friends and your church you're supposed to be thankful for things but really um as people i think think more deeply and as america faces deeper and deeper challenges many of us start to realize that we have to be thankful for the existence of america as a as a gift from our founders which in turn they created because they understood the idea of God-given rights. So Thanksgiving, to get to my point, I want to then turn to George Washington's proclamation, but to get to the idea that Thanksgiving is about thanking God for the abundant blessings we have, not just abstractly thanking or being grateful for the, the blessings in our lives of friends and abundance and food and housing and all that, but being thankful to God for the life we have, for the country we have, uh, and for the liberty we have. And so I wanna start out today's uh, Thanksgiving show by reading, this is George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation. Uh, this was from October 3rd, 1789. So he's just a few months into his first term as president of the United States. This is George Washington. Given all you know about him and what he went through in the Revolutionary War, 
to get us to where we had a country have a, you know, at his time had the very first presidency, the first kind of concrete creation of a country out of the ideas that created the Declaration um, of Independence. But I want to just read a little bit of his proclamation. And again, this was October 3rd, 1789. And he wrote, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish, excuse me, um, uh, to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being, capitalized being, referring to God, who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, and that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation. For the signal and manifold mercies and the favor able interpositions of his providence in the course and conclusion of the late war for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been established, excuse me, which have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge and in general for all the great and various favors which he has been pleased to confer upon us. And also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions to enable us all whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed, to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shown kindness to us, and to bless them with good governments, peace and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, and the increase of science among them and us, and generally, to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best given under the hand, under my hand, at the city of New York, the third day of October in the year of our Lord, 1789, George Washington. I just think that's a magnificent thing. I put it on our website, americachemitalk.org, uh, and you can, on the homepage, go to shows, drop down, list the links, and read it yourself. It might be a great thing to actually read at your Thanksgiving table tomorrow, because as I was getting back to my point when we started, I think that Thanksgiving it is probably the least commercialized holiday we celebrate. 
We think of it as a, a day of family and togetherness and, and gratitude for our uh, abundance and security and safety. But the idea of being grateful to God for, as the source of our supply, source of our, our substance, source of our very being, God is our creator, and the idea that America itself is something for us to be profoundly grateful, to reconsider what it took to create a country such as America is, rooted in liberty, promising from the founding to its people that we will, as a government, work, work and strive to protect that liberty. These were noble, noble ideas that George Washington captured in that very smart, short proclamation in which he fought for in the Revolutionary War. And I just I want to encourage all of us to really think of those ideas as we go about uh, celebrating Thanksgiving tomorrow. We have been blessed enormously in this country simply by the fact of being Americans, by being the recipients of the wisdom that our founders showed in creating a country uh, rooted in the idea that there is a God, there is a creator who created all of us at, as his children with equal rights under God, with the right to live in liberty, the right to pursue life, liberty, and our version of happiness. That's what the founders created. It's a great thing to be grateful for. Closing out this first five, I just want to mention that there was a, 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 a um, petition uh, in the a university in the East Coast in Virginia. The school is called Washington and Lee. It's a very old university. Uh, and the Washington part of the name of Washington and Lee is named after George Washington, who uh, the reason in part the school it was renamed after him was renamed after him because he gave a substantial endowment to this university under his second term, while he's in his second term as president. So it's Washington and Lee. Lee is referring to Robert E. Lee, who served as its president um, after uh, the surrender, his um, the surrender and the ending of the Civil War. And so he, Robert E. Lee, served as president until uh, his death in 1870. So law students at the University of Washington and Lee, law students, have petitioned the university to remove the image of George Washington and Robert E. Lee on their diplomas. They actually say in this petition, signed by some faculty as well as signed by students, saying essentially that they want to be able to be proud to hang these diplomas in their businesses, in their homes, in their law offices, and they can't be proud if it has George Washington's image on this diploma. And so I'm closing out my first five to say, We've come a long way in America since the founding of our country, since that glorious, amazing proclamation I just read by George Washington. We've come a long way to a point in America where we have students intelligent enough to gain access, to be admitted to a premier university, to be in law school, and to think they are making some righteous and noble statement, righteous and noble demand. They are virtue signaling out the wazoo but they think they're righteous in saying that they would prefer to hang their law school diploma on the wall without George Washington's picture on it. My point in closing out the first five is this. We have a lot of work to do in this country to reinstate an understanding in our country, in our students, in our young people, in our college students and law students, a profound change in our education system needed to to reinvigorate love of America, recognition of George Washington's service, what he sacrificed to create this country, what he tried to go back in humility and not become the first president. He didn't want to do it. He, and 
what he sacrificed, the stories we all know of Valley Forge and the famous picture of him knelting, uh, kneeling in the snow beside his horse, praying as he knows his men are hungry. They have no shoes. It's the middle of winter. They're, they think they're going to lose the Revolutionary War. That image of that man, George Washington, and the valor that he and others showed in standing up against England and asserting the creation, demanding the creation of this noble country. We need to reteach that. If we have law students who actually think they're signaling anything intelligent about themselves by demanding that George Washington's picture be taken off their diploma. And that, my friends, is today's first five. I want to turn and talk about, um, you know, we're gonna talk, it's pretty much all, you know, uh, Thanksgiving oriented today, but I want to turn and talk briefly about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and I call this uh, AOC, uh, referred to as AOC, and I want to refer to the pilgrims who, and we're going to talk about the pilgrims in just a moment, but first I want to ask Matt, the extremely wonderful producer, if we can play one clip. This is AOC, which is representative, one out of 435 members of the U.S. Congress, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat from New York, speaking recently, uh, what she had to say uh, and then about free stuff, and then we'll talk about uh, how extremely confused she is and what she should have learned from our founding. People like to say, oh, this is about free stuff. Not, this is not about free stuff. These are public goods. Yes. They're public goods. Yes. So I never want to hear the word or the term free stuff ever again. Okay, that is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is at a conference talking about all the demands the Green New Deal includes, but she's scolding America for characterizing the things that she wants the government to pay for, which means what she wants you to pay for, the hardworking Americans, the people who actually work and collect income and pay taxes, and the businesses that do the same. She's scolding America to tell them that you shouldn't be complaining about free stuff. She doesn't like that what she's characterized, what she's promising America. She doesn't like the mockery of her critics saying, stop promising free stuff is not free. She's making the point and she has a little bit of a point that's right and she's mostly completely clueless. She did make the point in that presentation that there are things that we do in America we have taxes, the federal government collects taxes, and the states do the same thing in their level, but the federal government collects taxes for things that are the public good. And she names some that really are the public good. Now, of course, she doesn't mention the military because she can hardly stand the idea that we actually have a military, but she talks about, you know, infrastructure. I think everyone understands that we collect taxes at the federal level. We have some obligation to collect taxes to do things like keep roads and bridges intact. Uh, we have to have safety in our uh, airlines. We have to have the FAA making sure planes are regulated, not crashing each other in the air. We have, now she doesn't name these, but we have things that are part of the public good that taxes are supposed to go. Military, of course, being the primary among them. National security, funding our military, arming our military, compensating our military, border security, which she doesn't support, but that is actually a public good that must come directly from the government. And, you know, even within these things that may be legitimate public good, depending on our economy and where we are in our budget, you can or cannot fund certain of these things that fall under the category of public good. But the reason she's getting angry 
at the American public for pointing out the absurdity of her policies, and especially the, the Green New Deal, is that what she wants to promise is free to the American people. She's tr is the ideas like free college education, free health care, free housing, free food in the form of food stamps or SNAP, and, and other amenities, guarantee of a job, guarantee of housing that you that is acceptable. She has a laundry list of things in the Green New Deal that she is saying once this, which is the complete communist takeover of America, that's what the Green New Deal is, she's trying to say that those things all ought to be bundled together into her, this concept of the public good. And it's really important to recognize how frequently and how profoundly Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other socialists regularly try to manipulate the American people. Regularly try to manipulate our thinking because she doesn't make the distinctions that have to be made between things genuinely part of the public good. We agree we all have to put taxes in. We can argue about who pays what percent of taxes and you know what uh, you know how you break down uh, along income lines, the tax rates people pay. You can negotiate that. But everyone's agreeing you have to have taxes, except the anarchists, I guess. But everyone's saying is agreeing you have to have taxes and you have to have them to pay for things that are the common good, the public good. What she is trying to do is lump all sorts of things that actually are the personal responsibility of individuals to work hard, to create, to work hard, to earn money, to pay for for themselves. These things that are just part of living in modern life, they're part of personal responsibility. She's trying, she, Bernie Sanders, and the whole Green New Deal trying to lump these personal responsibility items into the public good. And so, for example, she's in favor of complete government control over the healthcare system so they can give free healthcare to everyone, along with college education, uh, loan forgiveness, housing that will be provided by the government, uh, housing supplements, food, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Guarantee of a job. These are not items that are part of the public good. And the reason I captioned this segment of the show, the Pilgrims School AOC, is I want to uh, hearkening back to our Thanksgiving Day celebration, I wanted to remind you of a story, and I've talked about this show, I think, for five or six years. As long as I'm near Thanksgiving, I, I, want, I get to this story, but it's really important to remember this. So back before America existed, before we had the Revolutionary War, when we were just you know, colonies and people coming to America, there were colonists who came to America on the Mayflower. They came over in 1620. And on the Mayflower, of course, uh, as a small historical note, if you did not know this, they were, you likely know they were fleeing religious persecution. In order to fund, to get funding for them to get across to America, they had to borrow money from financiers. You can kind of think of them as modern day investors, like we think of investors or, you know, startups or, uh, you know, venture capital funds. They had to go to people in England and say, we need money to fund this trip we want to do to escape to the new world, to get to America. They were trying to flee religious persecution. Well, they did get a loan. And one of the terms of the loan was when they got to America, they had to have communal ownership of their housing and of their farming. That was required in the terms of the loan they got 
to get across to America. So when they got to America, they had, you know, these, and they had obviously a horrific time in the passage and many people died, various problems along the way, but they get to America. And so in accordance with the uh, commitment they had made, so the Mayflower arrives in Cape Cod in November, 1620, best estimates about 101 people had survived. 101 people. So, you know, they had all sorts of people uh, passing along along the way, scurvy, pneumonia, malnutrition, whatever they had. But they get to America, or what we now call America, and they're at the Cape Cod area. And uh, so in the spring, they go out to do farming. And they, following the terms, the requirement of their contract, the money they got to make the trip, they had communally owned housing, not you know, Joe's house, Fred's house, Sally's house, but communally owned housing, and they had communally owned farming. The first two years of farming in the New World, so 1621 and 1622, they had communal ownership of the farmland, meaning I'm not going out and planting corn for my family and the guy next door planting corn for his family. Everybody's supposed to work on this one big patch of land. And then at the end, when all the, the land produces, the harvest comes, we're all going to divide it. And to understand back to the, the uh, people who loan the money, the reason was they wanted their cut. They wanted to be sure that the, everyone understood that they, the lenders, they were going to get their cut too from all of this adventure in the new world. So for two, the two first farming seasons, 1621-1622, they had communal farming. And what resulted from that communal farming was the, the same thing that results in every time you try to have everything ranging from a group project for second graders in school or a group project for sixth graders or any other time you pile your resource together, which is a few people work and most people don't. That's what happens. And, and people realizing, I'm gonna get the same amount at the end, whether I work or not. Some people will work, many will not. So the, uh, the uh, founder, uh, the 1620, when they're over there at, at, um, at Cape Cod and, and pursuing this farming, they had a uh, book was fortunately kept by the, um, can't leave his name, Bradford, um, William Bradford, who was, and it was called Of Plymouth Plantation. He's the guy in charge and he's putting these policies in place and he's keeping track, he's writing down what's happening in this communal farming. He described what happened. They ended up with internecine conflicts that made them far more upset. Uh, they were very upset with each other. Under communal um, land stewardship, Bradford reports, the community was afflicted by an unwillingness to work, by confusion and discontent, by a loss of mutual respect, and by a prevailing sense this is Bradford describing communal farming, a prevailing sense of slavery and injustice. Young men, healthy and strong, were expected to work hard. They resented the older men who were sitting back saying, hey, you know, not my turn, you know, you're the young people you work. And the older men were resenting the younger men for not working hard enough. I mean, it was a mess. And they had a very poor harvest two years in a row. They were literally bringing about their own starvation because nobody wanted to work, because why should they? Because it's communal ownership. Bradford finally said, for the beginning of the 1623 harvest, you know what, we're going to go, and he, I'll describe how he writes it, because I love how they write in these uh, colonial days, the language they use. So here's what Bradford wrote. At length, 
after much debate of things, the governor, with the advice of the chiefest among them, gave way that they should set corn, making meaning make their field, you know, set their, their plot of lamb, every man for his own particular, and in that regard, trust to themselves. Meaning, you don't work, you don't work the land, you don't produce food, you don't eat. This is what they had to do to get everyone on, bo on board. He, so he assigned every family a parcel of land according to the proportion of their number. Essentially, he transferred or changed the system to being private property, which he said, as he says, brought very good success. The colonists became immediately responsible for their own actions and for those of their immediate families and not the action of the whole community. So we had this socialist experiment in America in the founding long before we even had the Declaration of Independence. We tried this. This is collectivism. This is socialism. This is what happens when you have no private ownership, no investment in the idea that you need to work to eat, no, no notion that if you work hardest and you do the best job and you keep your field the most clean of weeds and you do the best job nurturing those crops and you get the best crops, you get the reward. Connecting labor and reward is fundamental. It is not mean, it is not selfish, it's not greedy. It's the right thing to do. And so we learned it back then. So back to where we are with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, what she's really advocating and all of her, you know, meltdown about the idea that no one's supposed to say, mock her ideas as full of free stuff. It's exactly what she's doing. She's trying to put in place what Bradford did back in the time with the, when the original settlers got here in 1621, 1622. She's trying to say to America, to all Americans, don't worry, the government will pay you everything you need. The government will provide you everything you need. The government will provide you a job, a house, education, free education, take care of your bills, your health care. Everything you need will be provided by the government, which means provided by the taxpayers. And the people who work hard are like the young men back in Bradford's time saying, wait a minute, I can work hard. That guy over there is doing nothing. And at the end, we're gonna split this evenly, which is really what the tax structure is, what the mindset of the socialist, collectivist, communist mindset is, is that they will collect everything earned, everything produced, and they'll distribute it how they want. And for the same reason that Bradford's learned in 1621-22 that you cannot have communal ownership and collectivist mindset and, and even distribution at the end and expect everyone to pull their own weight. It doesn't happen. It didn't happen then and it won't happen now. What Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is going to figure out if she ever were actually to have her policies in place is that the producers will be sick of producing. The producers will stop working. Or as happens in other cases, you can, you, there are examples, you know, just abundant examples around the world and abundant examples in America. When you raise taxes to ridiculously punitive rates, 
And all that is, like in California, the ridiculously high punitive taxes, and they're taking the money of the hardworking people and distributing it to those not working, distributing those not giving their all, and why should they? They get everything for free. You discover the hardworking will stop working. The people earning and, and succeeding are not going to just sit there and send in their money. They're going to move to another state, move to another country. They're not going to put up with this. We saw this in France when you had a socialist leader come to uh, the leadership of France and, and by the dozens, if not hundreds, the wealthy of France fled the country. People do not just sit still and take it. They want to have the reward for their labors. People are willing to pay taxes for the genuine public good, the kind of things like you have to fund the military, you have to keep air travel safe, you have to have a secure border, you have to have infrastructure, and maybe a few other items if we're doing well financially. But the idea of telling people you're gonna work and work and work and work, and at the end of the day, the governments can take most of it away and give it to somebody else, you just, it, it, you are in a utopian, socialist, delusional state. If you think you can do the things that she has in mind and keep the productive citizens inspired to work. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez needs to go back and read a little bit more about 1621 and 1622 in America, read of Plymouth Plantation, understand the realities of life. I want to hit two more topics today very briefly. Uh, one is, I, I just want to, this has uh, been bothering me in this political campaign, this presidential uh, cycle, but it's one of those things I, I always want to try to point out to people how politicians manipulate you. I mentioned a few weeks ago that one thing uh, that is uh, the leftists in this country use all the time as a political you know, hammer to clobber everybody else is by saying, I'm offended. Leftists use this as a tactic to silence conversation. You can have a conversation about a hundred different issues and many leftists will go to the argument, I'm offended that you would say X, Y, Z. So you immediately go from discussing the issue, which whatever it was, to discussing how sorry you are that somebody else is offended and how can we help you not be offended. They're not talking about the topic at hand. They are using their this tactic, this manipulative ta tactic of saying I'm offended. In a similar way, leftists, and actually some people on the right to be fair, but mostly leftists use this tactic of claiming that they are standing up for unity. Recently, he's not the only one, but recently I happened to notice that Democrat presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg is using this language. He's calling for national unity. And that is the most manipulative, meaningless, obnoxious line for him to be saying, and we have to understand why, point it out and tell him, unless you're gonna talk about what you really believe in, you're saying nothing. And the reason is this, unity, means nothing unless someone tells you what you're supposed to unify around. It's the same thing with tolerance. The left, leftists in this country use the expression tolerance. I just want tolerance. Can't we all be tolerant? Tolerance is also not a virtue unless someone tells you what they want you to be tolerant of. Tolerant of drug smugglers? Tolerant of child sex traffickers, tolerant of domestic abusers. Tolerance is not a virtue. 
but it's used as a club by the left to silence people because they're saying, I'm just wanting tolerance. And so they're by implication, you're not tolerant because you won't agree with me. Force them to say what they're talking about. Same with unity. When Buttigieg says he wants unity, unity around what ideas? I want unity. I want unity out of upholding free speech, freedom of religion. I want unity out of low taxes, limited government, constitutional government, separation of powers, the federalist system. I have all sorts of things I think we should unify around. I defend my ideas. When he says he wants national unity, but he's just as though that is a goal by itself, he's saying, I'm not going to keep on reminding you the idiotic things I stand for. Because if I keep on telling you all the things I stand for, you might reject them. You might disagree with me. So instead of me telling you what, I, uh, what policies I want, what path I want for America, instead of me telling you that, let me just stand here and smile and say, I want unity. Now to be fair, Buttigieg is just the latest one. Barack Obama did this uh, in, in just astonishing, astonishing level of success. Barack Obama used that. I remember a conversation I had back in 2008 when he was running for president the first time. And this guy I know in Dallas who's a friend, it's a guy, he's liberal, he's gay, he's a nice guy. But he was asking me, who, you know, wasn't I gonna support Barack Obama? And I said, no, absolutely not. And he said, and he actually got tears in his eyes. He goes, but don't you want unity? I said, what unity around what? Unity doesn't mean anything. It's just a manipulation, a tactic, because everyone said, oh yeah, yeah, unity, that's me, I want unity. Unity around what? The guy, I could have told you in 2008, he was a radical socialist. I could have told you that. I could have told you he didn't have America's best interests at heart. He's very much a globalist. He's not a lover of the idea of America. He's not a respecter of the Constitution. So no, he can't bring unity. You can't bring unity in the abstract. You know, you can bring ideas to the forefront, as Ronald Reagan did. He said what he believed in, and America got unified behind him because of the ideas he expressed. It's the same reason that the people who like President Trump get unified behind him. It's not personal worship, it's not adulation, it's not sycophant stuff. It is that Donald Trump stands for things that people want the country to do. He actually wants secure borders. He actually wants a strong military and a strong national defense. He actually wants to withdraw America from the globalist mindset that is trending in the world, that is socialist, that destroys the character of individual nations. He actually wants a, a bustling free enterprise economy with people employed and working in self sufficient. President Trump says the ideas he wants and unity follows, at least among his followers, unity follows because they believe in his ideas. The left uses this concept of unity to say, to attack President Trump. And what they're really saying is, because I don't like President Trump's ideas, leftists say, because I don't like Trump's ideas, he's not a unifier. I'm telling you folks, the country was not unified under Barack Obama. The country will not be unified under any of the Democrats running for president this time because they are leftists, because they do not have at heart and soul love of this country in their hearts, in their thinking, in their policies. It's just not where they are. You can't create unity by creating a campaign slogan that says you stand for national unity. You can only unify around substantive ideas about ideas 
like the founding ideas of America, the founding ideas of America that were all about the things we talk about in the show all the time, the ideas of the Declaration of Independence and the right of individuals to live in liberty, that we all have rights from God simply because we were born, that we all have equal rights, that we have the right to live in liberty, that we have a right to freedom of speech and freedom of assembly and all the other rights spelled out in the Bill of Rights. We can unify around those ideas, but most of those ideas are ideas that the left finds offensive. The left is not supporting. I want unity, but around the right ideas. You can't get unity, to wrap this segment up, you can't get unity just by waving the word unity or throwing it out to a crowd and saying, hey, national unity, that's me. If the ideas you support and push are un-American, you can't, you're never gonna get to unity. Final quick topic for today and this day before Thanksgiving. I just want to say again how grateful I am to live in this country. I want to encourage all of us to tomorrow as we're giving thanks to God for our homes, our, our family, our friends, food, uh, you know, the food on the table, the love of family. We need to spend time to actually remember the holiday Thanksgiving is for thanking God for his care and protection and in particular, thanking God this Thanksgiving for the idea that America itself, the very ideas that created America, is a gift from God. The very ideas woven into the founding are a gift from God for which we all should be thankful in this Thanksgiving season and every Thanksgiving and frankly, every day of the year. But the reason I love Thanksgiving is not particularly commercialized. It is just about love and family and friends and togetherness and a day of rest and a day of gratitude. It's a, actually a very patriotic holiday because it, it harkens back to the time of our founding when we recognized early, early on with the pilgrims who came here for religious freedom, we recognized early on that as we, we uh, appreciate abundance as we experience abundance, as we experience protection, as we experience growth of our country and strength in our country, we should be looking back to the God that the founders wanted so very, very much to worship, that the pilgrims wanted the freedom to worship, and that we today need to hold on to that idea that we are grateful to God, we recognize God's place in the founding of our country and our, his, his place today in our country and keeping our country on the path our founders blessed us with. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back next Monday with a great new show, and I will see you on Monday uh, and every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, here, wherever you're watching, whether you're on YouTube or you're watching on Facebook or you're watching on Twitter, wherever you're watching, I appreciate you. I thank you for listening. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your listening to the show. I urge you to share it, to share it with your friends. Help this show grow because we need many, many people in this country standing up for the unique, extraordinary idea that is America, which is all that this show is really ever about, is celebrating the idea of America. And I do that because America matters. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, Nellie. I can't believe I got to the end. Wait, wait. I want to do my Why It Matters too. I'm so sorry I almost forgot. Okay, Matt, my extremely great producers in there. Hey, what happened? What's your, I want to do why it matters to you. So, why it matters. Here we go. Thanksgiving and George Washington's words. Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation issued 230 years ago deserves to be read by every living American every year. He was on his knees in prayer at Valley Forge. It does, that 
picture in your mind deserves to be viewed by every living American every year. Washington's greatness of character corresponded with its humility and reverence for Almighty God. American history is rich with goodness and greatness when rightly understood. It needs to be rightly taught again on the Pilgrims versus AOC. William Bradford tried free stuff collectivism, communal ownership at Plymouth Colony in 1621 and 1622. Starvation and resentment followed. In 1623, Bradford abandoned collectivism and instituted private property and personal responsibility. Prosperity and abundance and food followed. AOC is ignorant at the very best of the realities of collectivism. There is a right idea of public good that includes taxation to fund the military, border security, infrastructure. But AOC and other socialists blur that with demands for forced collectivist funding of individual responsibilities like college education, housing, healthcare, and employment. We must relearn the reality that collectivism fails. America has been there, done that in 1621. And then we have the American unity around what? Unity, like tolerance, is not necessarily virtuous. It depends on what we're being asked to unify around. It depends on what we're asked to be tolerant of. Stressing unity as a goal, standing alone, is often a manipulative tactic to hide the policies a candidate or official is pushing. Unity around what? America's founding ideas of individual rights and liberty, rule of law, freedom of speech and religion, and free markets are ideas of America we all must unify around. America's founding ideas are right ideas. Americans who know this must reteach these ideas. And finally, giving thanks for America. The Thanksgiving holiday is a spiritual anchor of America, powerful evidence of the inarguable, inarguable link between the place of God in America and American exceptionalism. The founding of this nation is not an historical accident, not the clever work of a random collection of political wise men who happened to live in a certain place in the 18th century. It is, as George Washington put it, evidence of the hand of the divine providence in the unfolding of time. And that was from Brush Fires of Freedom, which is a collection of pro-American essays, which is available for sale at my website, americacanbetalk.org. Okay, sorry about the fake ending there. You know what? I was really wanting to wrap up and say a little bit early today, wrapping up, but I'm so grateful you tuned in to America Can We Talk. I urge you to do it every single day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, and I'll talk to you next Monday. And always remember, speak up for America because America really does matter. Have a great Thanksgiving. Can you hear us now? America, can we talk? Truth about America. Can you hear